1: Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Hello, Professor Gershon.
2: Good morning, Liz. You know, you can't have a better... Uh, week than coming out of the Super Bowl, the Olympics, and in legal terms. So it's great to be here with you, and uh, really happy to uh, welcome back uh, Mississippi Bar General Counsel Adam Kilgore. Um, Adam, please tell us a little bit about your role as General Counsel of the Mississippi Bar, and good morning.
3: and Good morning to you both. Uh, y'all do such a wonderful job on this show and, and serve the public well, and uh, I wanted to express my appreciation to you, uh, for, for the opportunity to be back on. Uh, and speaking of serving the public, that segues nicely into answering your question. Uh, at the Mississippi Bar, uh, in, in my office, the Office of General Counsel, we handle primarily two things. Attorney discipline uh, related to ethics and making sure that lawyers are ethical. And in the, in the role of doing that, our primary function is to protect the public. Uh, Along those same lines, we are also there to aid the profession. So there is an education component. Uh, We routinely are talking to lawyers about any ethics questions they have, because lawyers have questions too, Um, and so we try to guide them toward the rules and ethics opinions that may apply so they can make an informed decision in representing their clients.
2: Well, and you mentioned the ethics opinions. I, I use those as a tool in my, my legal profession class here at the university, and they're really helpful because it shows the students that you don't have to try to guess. The bar is there to help you if you've got an ethical question, a question of uh, whether what you're doing is, is appropriate or not ethically, and the bar is very helpful in that respect. So thank you for those ethics opinions. And, and let's talk about one of the, the programs you have at the bar, uh, which is a fee dispute program. And, and how, what, how does that work?
3: So fee disputes are something that, uh, as you might imagine, come up. And just to make sure our audience is following us, uh, you know, the typical situation is going to be that the client was charged an amount by the lawyer that they don't agree with for some reason. Either they, you know, easy to say, the bill's too much in their mind, or maybe they were caught a little bit by surprise related to some of the expenses. Um, so it's it's a you know somewhat common for people to get a a bill from their lawyer and not necessarily agree with it. Um, So we have a fee dispute resolution committee that can assist if everybody agrees. Um, And that's an important part. It is voluntary. Um, And the purpose, again, is to create an avenue where if both the lawyer and the client, which is typically the situation we see, uh, agree to submit to the jurisdiction of the Fee Dispute Resolution Committee, um, then we have uh, a mediator or an arbitrator, depending on how it goes, that gets assigned to it and, and can can make it either facilitate communication or make a decision that can be binding in court. Um, fee disputes are separate from a bar complaint. So a bar complaint, which I know we've talked about on previous shows, uh, is going to deal with whether an attorney committed an ethics violation or not. Whereas fee dispute is simply just about the fee. Um, so they really are two separate things. We don't see them merge together very often. Um, but fee dispute is, is, a, is a free service that we provide um, in circumstances where everybody agrees to participate.
2: So you, I think you hit on it. That, that, that if, if the client files a, uh, a fee dispute, it doesn't cost them anything to move forward with that.
3: Correct. There's there's no tra- charge to it. So you know it's as it, simple as the person you know filing for the filing the fee dispute would submit the you know information, um, uh, relevant information. It may well just be a copy of the bill and an explanation as to what kind of work the lawyer was doing for them. Um, And then that is received by our office and we are going to make the attorney aware uh, that um, uh, that that has come in and then the attorney is going to either agree to participate or not. If they don't, then the other option is for you to take it to, to court like Justice Court, something along those lines.
1: We're talking with general counsel for the Mississippi Bar, Adam Kilgore, talking about fee disputes and unauthorized practice of law. If you have a question, please email us, legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll get back to you with an answer.
2: Liz, this is really—it's it's such an interesting call. We're always happy to have Adam here. And, and you know, one of the questions, I guess, is that um, lawyers— uh, as an ethical duty, I remember when I, I started uh, a lot, 100 years ago, practicing, and it would be, you know, the, the Georgia bar at that time posted recommended fees for things like uh, wills and, and, you know, different things that lawyers do. And that was held to be uh, violate antitrust law. So now uh, lawyers are, the, the standard is reasonable fees. So what exactly, I mean, how, how do you determine a reasonable fee?
3: Well, it's my favorite law school answer ever, which I tend to say that phrase every time I'm on your show. But the answer is, it depends. Um, that being said, I do have more meaningful information on that. Um, you're correct. Yeah, the, the Mrs. Buh-Bar does not publish uh, what fees or rates should be. I seem to recall there's even a statute that says we can't do that that I came across recently. So you're exactly right. We don't do that. But getting to the to the meat of your question how is a fee determined whether it's reasonable or not? Um, And we have a rule. There's always a rule, right? Rule 1.5 of the Mississippi Rules of Professional Conduct for those of you taking notes at home. But Rule 1.5 talks about reasonableness of fee and it's the first sentence, the fee must be reasonable. Well, how do you calculate that? And there are eight factors, I'll just list off a few, but it's going to come into play that time and labor required for the lawyer to do the particular task or what the representation is about. Um, the likelihood of that lawyer taking that client on and then losing the ability potentially down the road to represent other people because of the conflict that could be created for taking those other cases so you know sometimes there's a scenario where a lawyer is um, you know if I take this case I won't be able to do anything else related to any of these people so that's that's as simple as that um, you know what the fee normally is charged in that locality is what the rule says so it's you know what's the going rate right around town um, uh, time limitations, if you, uh, you know, contact a lawyer and the statute of limitations is going to run on your case in 15 days, it's probably reasonable to expect that rate could be higher as that lawyer, if they choose to take it on, um, is, is going to be investing time related to that. So there are several factors, experience, reputation, the lawyer comes into play.
1: We have a call from Harrison County. We're going to go to Ollie. Ollie, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question?
4: Hi. um, Excuse me. I wanted to ask about um, a will. We have it, well, it's been kind of mixed up, but anyway, we have it uh, coming up for closure later in probate. And... um, I keep hearing the comment that little things don't really matter. Um, I can't understand that because I thought everything was supposed to go to those people to whom it was willed. So do we have any recourse there in case it isn't?
2: You know, I'd like to be able to answer your question, but I think it's one of those things, somebody would have to read the will and understand exactly what... Um, what you're saying is not being given. I mean, there is some discretion of the personal representative, the executor who's appointed uh, to oversee the will. Um, to uh, make decisions about which property goes, you know, if, if somebody says I give uh, a third of my property to X, uh, you know, where does that third come from and, 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 you know, appraisals. But um, so I, I think you need to talk to a, to a lawyer about that if there's not one already involved in the probate process um, and, and there should be uh, just about exactly what they mean by Little things don't matter, but without seeing the will, without seeing the documents, it would be impossible to give you any kind of um, personal advice, and we we really can't give that on the show.
1: Thanks, Ollie. We appreciate you calling in. You can send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're speaking with general counsel for the Mississippi Bar, Adam Kilgore, maybe talking about fee disputes or unauthorized practice of law. We're talking about ethics. Now, Mississippians can graduate with a law degree in Mississippi by attending two different institutions. But that might change. I'll tell you more next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
5: drive a vehicle then you'll find autocorrect helpful especially on coach charlie's tip of the week listen to our podcast with me coach charlie melton on any podcasting platform or on the mpb public media app
1: This is In Legal Terms. Now, not everyone has a chance to listen to our show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon. Currently... A professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Our guest is general counsel for the Mississippi Bar, Adam Kilgore, graduate of Mississippi College School of Law, and currently those are the only two law schools in the state. But, but, there are currently nine online slash residential programs approved by the American Bar Association for gaining a Juris Doctor degree. With law schools increasingly expanding into online instruction, the ABA has begun to issue waivers to hybrid programs, those that mix traditional campus learning with online courses so they can apply for accreditation. With trained faculty and significant technological investment, distance learning proponents even argue that law degree programs can be completed exclusively online. We'll just have to see how the wind blows on that one. Maybe after, after COVID blows over, do we go back to what it was or do we do something new? I think that holds in every facet of our life. Today, we are talking with uh, Adam Kilgore, General Counsel for Mississippi Bar, talking about fee disputes and unauthorized practice of law. We have quite a few calls that have come in. Let's go to Madison and talk with Susan. Susan, we are glad that you've called in to In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question? I have a question
6: about um, some practices with a home closing that I had last year with an attorney. Um, Briefly, I bought a home from a family member. Uh, We did have a sales contract, and I did finance part of the home purchase through a mortgage company. The seller was given $1,500 in earnest money directly to him. It was not held in earnest by a realtor. the information was given to the uh, attorney by my mortgage company on fees to collect for insurance and uh, uh, taxes, etc. cetera. Um, when I got to closing and um, everything was signed and finalized, I thought that was it. Several days later, a week or so, I got A call from the attorney saying, the figures did not balance. Uh, He told me that they did not realize that the seller had directly received the earnest money and that the account was $1,500 short and I need to refund that to them. Um, They explained to to me that they would, in turn, uh refund this money and distribute it appropriately i decided that i would refund that money to the attorney uh because i inadvertently paid it directly to the seller thinking it would be redistributed according to what the attorney said instead i got a partial refund the seller got a partial refund of that money And the attorney gave me a copy of a title insurance policy, um, which he had neglected to distribute or uh, secure at loan closing. Since then, I've asked him several times for a revised settlement statement. I've asked him in writing, and he has not responded. Um, so what is my recourse or I would just like to get a, a final corrected statement. I don't know if that's possible at this time. What would recommendation be?
3: Okay. Now, we're, we're, we're in a position, of course, where we can't comment specifically on, on your case. So I'm going to answer your question in, in a general sense. Um, if, the, if there's a situation where there's a, a misunderstanding or a dispute, um, you know, between the lawyer and the client, as to, you know, costs related to to representation is another example of this. Or obviously, this was a real estate transaction that took place, and it it sounds like, uh, as is typical, um, there can be scenarios where the lawyer takes on part of the obligation related to paying this or that. So it sounds like your scenario at least touches on that. from From the standpoint of what you can do next. While I can't give you legal advice, I can tell you about the bar complaint process at the Mississippi Bar, and you can get a bar complaint or explore the possibility of filing one uh, by calling our Consumer Assistance Program, and that is at 601-948-2344. One of the things that you've done that I think is good that I recommend people explore, potentially prior to filing a bar complaint, is communicating, communicating, and writing, saying what you're looking for. Uh, there, there are times where there's just simply some miscommunication that can take place, a misunderstanding as to whose obligations were what. We see it in settlement of cases. Sometimes people are surprised that there were so much expense related to, uh, you know, the settlement. And, and then the, the money that they receive uh, finally from that case is not as much as they thought. So you're on the right track from the standpoint of establishing a record of communication um, and you may consider taking the next step on filing a complaint, but it's also important to remember the filing of a bar complaint is not going to affect your underlying legal matter. It's only designed to hold the attorney accountable if there's an ethics violation. So. Don't just file a bar complaint if that's what you decide to do, and expect everything else to get fixed. You still have an obligation to go forward, try to work with your attorney, um, and go from there. Uh, professor, I'll turn it back to you.
2: Well, just Adam, that's that's great advice, and I think you know one thing that uh, we have to remember is while uh, most lawyers are ethical and follow through on their obligations, they're they're people, and uh, I think you would you, your website does a great job breaking down the. Uh, the types of complaints against lawyers. And usually their lack of communication and, and, you know, just neglecting the client's cause are the ones that get lawyers in, in the most trouble, sadly. And I talk to my students about that. Um, you know, so, I mean, the obvious ones about, you know, stealing client money, that's an obvious one, but, you know, it's, it's just following through, making sure the client understands their case. And I don't think lawyers always do a great job with that.
1: It's frustrating to think that lawyers are human, too, and maybe there's an illness or a death in the family or something that prevents them from doing what you need them to do. But, yeah, I applaud Susan for continuing to, you know, squeaky wheel gets the grease. I don't know. Anyway, grease the wheels. Anyway, whatever I'm trying to say, I appreciate that Susan is still trying to communicate with him, and I hope she can have her situation resolved. Let's go next on the road to Mark. Mark, we're glad that you've called in to In Legal Terms Today, where we have our guest, Adam Kilgore, General Counsel from Mississippi Bar. What's your comment or question? Mark, we're glad that you've called in. Can you call in? Can you give us your question or comment?
5: Uh, Yes, I was uh, thinking about purchasing property, and it's not much property, but it's landlocked. Is there anything that I can do uh, to be able to access that property after I buy it or if I buy it?
2: Well, I think, again, this is a, a, you know, a a specific advice question. We can't give you advice about your specific situation, but what I will say is typically if a property is landlocked, you can see whether the deed has uh, easements. Um, Typically, you've got to be able to get on and off your property and the law usually provides um, an easement in that situation, that not that you own that other person's land, but that you can use it to cross over it. And it might be that in the deed itself, there's already that easement built in. I, I would imagine that if you're gonna buy landlocked land, uh, you should look for that. Uh, if not, you know, I would talk to my neighbors about giving, having getting their permission, make sure you have their permission in writing.
3: And, sure. and, and I'm so glad you said that last part, Professor, the talk to the neighbors. Uh, you know, the questions coming in today, questions we, we deal with in the legal field, Absolutely, have legal answers to them. There are also practical answers. I think that people forget sometimes. We we get frozen up at the at the the stress and the possibility of this not going well. Don't forget the practical solution. Sometimes is to go to your neighbor, and go, hey, I'm thinking about buying this property. Do you know where the easement is? Am I going to be able to do this? Uh, those kind of things. And and so. Folks, don't forget the practical solutions, too. Not that we're telling you not to hire a lawyer. Uh, If you need one, do it. But don't forget the matter-of-fact approach that we can all take in different legal situations.
1: Thanks, Mark. We appreciate you calling in. Let's now go to Collins and speak with Timothy. Uh, Timothy, we're glad you've called in. And remember, we can't comment on your specific situation, but our host, Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, and our guest, Adam Kilgore from from Mississippi Bar, can uh, tell you what the law is. So, Timothy, what's your comment or question?
5: Well, I think this is a general question. So... Uh, I get a lot of notifications through the mail concerning class action lawsuits
0: uh, that I have
5: the ability to participate in uh, if I choose to. Um, Some of them are with investments that I may have been involved with in the past, or one recently was with Blue Cross and Blue Shield. So what, what is your general advice in getting involved in something like that, or if I should respond at all to those?
2: Well, my opinion is sometimes sometimes you can get uh, some type of award, or uh, I know I, we, uh, there was a clash-action lawsuit because of a, a breach of a financial services organization, and, and one of the things that uh, came out of that suit was everyone uh, who agreed to be part of that suit got free credit monitoring for a certain period of time. So it might be something like that. It might be a non-monetary thing. But, you know, I, I, I the, the, and Adam, you can talk more about this, but I mean, the, th- the thing about um, class action suits is they give uh, people with maybe small claims individually the opportunity to combine their claims against a big company um, and and get some resolution um, whereas if you tried to file the suit yourself it would be very costly and, and difficult uh, and so it really is a way for uh, smaller claimants to get get involved I it depends on the suit it depends on what you know what they're what, what it's about but I tend to join those I yeah know. I,
3: same, same for me per, on the personal level I, I tend to as well um, you know sometimes we just we get so much uh, email mail etc and, it, and it's hard to sift through um, I, I have certainly joined a, a few in the past and professor you're, you're dead on that that is the that is the mechanism I am not a class action expert so I don't I don't, want, don't want to mislead our listeners uh, but just from a practical standpoint um, you know that is the way that people are you know that's that's a, a good way for uh, you know get that word out they are related to, to what's going on in a particular matter and represent a, a larger group. So uh, you're free to participate or not. They're gonna uh, if you do participate, they're going to screen you and make sure that you actually uh, are are uh, have, have a claim.
1: Thanks, Timothy. Okay. We appreciate you calling in. We're going to go one more call. It, we're going to Ronnie. Ronnie, we're so glad that you've called in, to in legal terms today. We'll tell you what the law is and what the Mississippi Bar might could do for you. But we can't comment on your qu- question, on your situation. But what's your question or comment? Well, let's put Ronnie back on hold. We'll take our break and uh, see if he's there when we come back. Hey, email us your questions. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're talking with Adam Kilgore, general counsel with the Mississippi Bar, about fee disputes or unauthorized practice of law. I love having a website to go to. That Mississippi Bar website is one of the best. I'm going to tell you more next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
4: Join us each week for Everyday Tech
2: on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems
6: on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. You already know MPB Think Radio is a direct result of donations from listeners like you. But instead of counting the size of your donation in dollars, how about axles? trucks to motorcycles, cars, even 18 wheelers. Your donated vehicle of any size helps fund the programs here on Think Radio. For more information on how to donate your vehicle, visit mpbonline.org/support.
1: You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershen is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. And we do hope that you subscribe to our podcast, or you can find MPB Think Radio recordings on the website mpbonline.org slash radio. That's also the way you can listen online. This morning, we're with our guest, Adam Kilgore, General Counsel for Mississippi Bar. Now, if you need to remember one thing from In Legal Terms, only one thing, you don't know anybody's name, you don't know anything, I think it should be the website for the Mississippi Bar. The address has... uh, Pro Bono Resources. It has a lawyer directory and suggestions on how to select a lawyer. That website is msbar.com dot uh, org that's it msbar.org i'm going to give their phone number later in the broadcast that uh, mississippi bar consumer assistance phone number so grab a pencil and have it ready in about 10 minutes and we'll make sure that you get that phone number if that's the way you need to contact them adam you know we you've talked a little bit earlier about fees, but, you know, sometimes we won't charge you unless we win your case. Uh, These are contingency fees. How does this work?
3: Uh, I'm so glad you brought that up. It's such an important question. So contingency fee contracts means the the payment to the lawyer is contingent or relies upon the outcome of the case. So typical scenario would be a, a lawyer who's representing an individual um, decides to, you know, I will undertake this representation. uh, And again, the result is I'm I'm not going to charge you unless uh, um, we succeed on the case. There are only certain types of cases lawyers can do this with. Typically, you're going to see it more in the scenario of a personal injury case and, and those types of things. The most important part is that a contingency fee contract must be in writing it has to articulate the percentage how expenses are going to be handled one of the things that we see in the bar complaint setting is clients frustrated uh, as to how that distribution went once the case concluded or settled Uh, that lawyer is going to recoup their expenses typically before they pay out anything back to you so they're going to have their expenses they're going to take their own fee and then give you in essence give you the remainder the other issue that can come up there is sometimes there are liens medical liens if we're talking about a personal injury case where the uh they're in in essence medical bills that are still pending and depending upon how that case was handled It's either the lawyer's responsibility or the client's responsibility to pay those medical bills out of the money, uh, out of the money received on the case. Um, And that is an important area that I encourage clients to ask their lawyer about. All contracts ideally would be in writing, but without question, contingency fee contracts have to be. And y'all, read that contract. Take a minute um, and read it and ask questions. It's okay. you You want your lawyer to explain it to you.
1: So if you have a dispute, if you want to dispute a fee charged by an attorney, uh, remind us what we need to do?
3: Right. So it's it's the Fee Dispute Resolution Committee that we, we talked about earlier in the broadcast, and I understand some, some folks may be just joining us now. But we have a Fee Dispute Resolution Committee, um, and they're going to solely focus on if there is, uh, you know, trying to sort out the, the the disagreement between lawyer and client as to the fee that was charged, that typically is not an ethics violation. That's just simply some accounting that needs to be sorted out. Just sort it out. Just to put it in the simplest terms. Whereas, if you feel like an attorney has. Charged an unreasonable fee, and it's it's more unethical. They like they double billed me. They they did you know they're they're they received my settlement and haven't given me my money. To put it in this again in simple terms, then that's more likely going to be related to a bar complaint and the potential of an ethics violation. Um, so it's, 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 it's a, a fine line there, um, uh, and I can appreciate how that can be confusing for clients and, and, and people that contact us time to time. And that's why calling the Consumer Assistance Program can be helpful. We can go, no, this, you ought to do that, or consider that. You know, we don't tell people what to do. We don't give legal advice. And let me also plug here, because I don't want to forget to say this. Uh, the bar gets a lot of phone calls, and we are happy to serve and help the public. We are not a lawyer referral service. Um, So, it is completely understandable that you would think to contact the Mississippi Bar when you're trying to find an attorney. We can show you an attorney directory that's got almost 11,000 names on it, but we can't recommend an attorney. So I'd love for the audience to know, please don't call us to refer an attorney because we can't. We represent and regulate the bar.
1: Fantastic. Let's take this call from Jackson. It's Curry. Curry, we're glad you've called in to In Legal Terms today. Our guest is Adam Kilgore from Mississippi Bar. He's talking about ethics and fee disputes and unauthorized practice of law. What's your comment or question?
0: Well, I have a brief question. I, I have been wondering about it for a while. Uh, uh, my, my mother, before she died, she appointed me to split. Uh, the only thing that was left was the money that she had in the bank. And she wanted this split between the three brothers. Now, one brother was uh, was put in assisted care because he was disabled. So because he had Social Security and, and other funds for that, uh, I just held on to the check till t- I thought maybe he needed it. And then I was going through some stuff after all these years, which is over, hey, i hey, I just came out, you uh, know, after uh, over 20 years, I come across this check that was divided to him. One of the pieces of check that was divided, three days of uh, uh, divided, well, uh, I found, I, I came across his check. Now, the two brothers are deceased, but he never did his check, but the, I had that, I still had that check. After 20 years, is that money any good or somewhere where I can locate it or try to get it since both brothers are deceased and I'm the only one left?
2: That seems like that's more. That's a question you probably have to talk to an attorney about, and it's it's worth checking with an attorney about because uh, it really depends on the source of the money. I mean, if it was in a bank, the money would probably still be there, but you would probably have to uh, you know verify um, the account. I just think that's worth that's worth having somebody track down for you, um, and and I don't know if uh, Adam has different advice, but that that would be what I would do. That,
3: that would be my advice too. And again, in in, in general uh, terms, you know, I, I do know there there are instances that lawyers contact us where they still have client money in their lawyer trust account that they have tried to pay out. So you know. Um, and, you know, after a period of time, you know, there is a statute in Mississippi, in the Mississippi Code, that talks about unclaimed property. Um, if that money is still not there based upon, you know, the uh, responding specifically to the question of the caller, it could be that whoever was holding those funds after several attempts in a good faith showing that they had tried to distribute that money out to who it was, it was due, they may well have t- turned it over to the Secretary of State's office uh, for unclaimed property. And then, I'm not well versed in this, but after a period of time, I think it goes to the state of Mississippi after the person doesn't claim it. So there's, there's another possibility there. Ooh, and, if and
2: one other thing I'll point out: another reason why I think a lawyer would be a good person to talk to is, since your brother was disabled, the one who the check was for, it's possible that if, if that if your brother was getting uh, both uh, social security support and also uh, Medicaid, uh, it might be uh, w- there might be a clawback of that some of that money to pay for some of that Medicaid. I, you know, I'm not sure about the time frame on that, but I, that's why I would I would sort that out with a lawyer to make sure that. Uh, you know, you, you can do that. And, and I, you know, uh, Adam, we were talking about um, contingent fees. I think the lawyer could probably handle that matter on a contingent basis because it would be a matter of trying to, you know, find funds, essentially. Uh, it
3: could. Um, it, you know, I don't have the rule open, but there is a component. There are certain types of cases that can't be done on contingency fee. Um, I know criminal cases cannot be. Uh, domestic relations, divorce, those kind of things. So, you um, I'd need to look at it a little bit closer, but as a quick example, um, a lawyer couldn't do a child support modification of child support and go, "Hey, if you get me more money, then you know per month on this case, then you would you know collect this certain percentage." Um, the rules are not designed to do that. There's a prohibition against that, and I think it probably just comes down to. You know, the, the, the goal is for people to legit, legitimately represent folks and not just try to build this up to seek a dollar. You know, the, the, when, when you've got a criminal case, when you've got uh, custody issues or things like that, these are real issues that the, the money shouldn't be necessarily driving it. I, I, there's probably a better way to say that, but that's that's the point I'm trying to make. Absolutely.
1: So Curry you could either hire a uh, attorney or try to play detective on your own. I know on Money Talks we've talked about the f- found money at the the treasury office of mississippi and that's very interesting you can check to see i've had i've done that before you just take a copy of a will or take a copy of a death certificate to prove that you are entitled to things but good luck to you uh, we do not give suggestions on indiv- on individual's Uh, situations, but we do tell you what the law is and what possible actions you could take. So thanks, Curry, for calling in. We can take your questions on our email address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. Our guest is our friend Adam Kilgore, general counsel from the Mississippi Bar. He's been on our show a couple of times. I'll have links to those past podcasts on the show information for this podcast. But get that pencil ready. We'll give you a couple of phone numbers for the Mississippi Bar when we come back. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
3: And Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101,
2: podcast everywhere.
1: This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed our program, you can listen to the whole show on the MPB Think Radio YouTube channel. We're YouTube stars. Not really. Well, sort of, but yeah. Anyway, it's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are most our local shows. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. At 11 a.m. Central on Tuesdays following our over-the-air broadcast, you can hear Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. Today they're talking about child development. If you need some help, there are very helpful folks at the Mississippi Bar. If you can't go online, you can call their main number, which is 601-948-4471. And our guest Adam Kilgore, general counsel for the Mississippi Bar, did give out the Mississippi Bar consumer assistance number that is 601 948 two three four four but man oh man that website is chock full of great information msbar.org let's going to wrap up the show with some phone calls let's go to jackie who's called in from waynesboro jackie we're glad you've called in today we cannot give you legal advice but our experts can tell you what the law is so jackie what's your comment or question
4: Okay, thank you so much. My granddaughter was in a a, a car accident August the 1st, and it was not her fault. It was deemed the other person's fault because they crossed the median and didn't stop and ran her off the road, and she was thrown from the vehicle, and she had personal injuries. And uh, they contacted one of the people that you see on TV a lot and everything because they wanted to get her medical expenses and uh, signing a contract, we knew that was to be, but now they're telling her that on a person's um, insurance uh, contract with their insurance carrier, that it can never be more than what they are insured for. And he said most people are insured for the minimum, which would be like 25000 per individual injury. Is that correct? Because that may not even cover her expenses.
2: Well, uh, again, I think that's something that you would want to make sure you uh, verify. I, I think, Adam, do you know uh, that's a, uh, a tort action?
3: I, I, yeah, I, I don't know enough to answer her question specifically, but, the, you know, there there are caps um, related to certain, you know, certain policies are going to come into play. Then, you know, the lawyer's going to be looking to see if there's if there's any other source. Of recovery, um, uh, you know, I just not assessing this specific situation, but a situation I see quite often is just how frustrating it is. You know, the, the function of the law, ideally, is to make someone injured whole again. Now, you, we know if you lose lose a limb, if you you know have different injuries, you may not be made whole, but the law is designed to with, to the extent possible do that. When you have insurance coverage that, that is only, uh, you know, covers a certain amount and someone gets more injured than that amount could take care of, or there are multiple people that are injured, that you know, that's where that issue comes in and, and, and it's tough. Um, uh, to face. And, and, you know, so I, I think sympathy is, uh, is important, um, in, in this too. And, and, uh, you know, continue to, to talk to your lawyer, and try to navigate this, make a good informed decision. But most importantly, you know, for this caller, I'm, I'm very sorry about this injury and, and I, and I hope that, that everybody, you know, recovers to the extent possible.
2: Right. And it, I mean, it is, it is possible, even though the insurance limits are there, uh, that, you know, the other party, uh, there, there are other sources maybe of, of repayment as well besides the insurance policy, it would seem.
1: Jackie, I hope that helps and uh, good luck with your granddaughter. Let's go to Mobile and speak with John. John, we're glad you've called in to In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question?
5: Uh, thank you, Liz. Um, I wanted to ask Dr. Gershon and uh, Adam Kilmore, um how uh, well a person can do their own legal sleuthing, and uh, how far back they're likely to find uh, useful information. Um, In my case, uh, there are a couple things. um, I discovered from uh, online investigation that uh, my father's family uh, had a, uh, what was it, a fourth brother that they never talked about. I only heard his name mentioned once. And later on, I found, um, through uh, researching uh, other sources and findagrave.com, uh, I found his headstone. Uh, the other thing was something that happened to me, and this was all of 55 years ago when I was, uh, I, I think, 13. Uh, I was struck by a car, um, and uh, somehow, well, because my parents were dysfunctional, um uh, uh, so they couldn't. They were not capable of following up on this. Uh, but somehow, attorneys appeared and brought a case against the person, uh, against the driver, and uh, and a financial award of three thousand dollars was made. Well. That was the last I saw of it. Uh, if if the money was paid out to the parents, it was gone. But I was just wondering, how far back can you go in sleuthing to find out who the lawyers were, what the judgment was, um, and uh, who received the money?
2: Well, go ahead. I, um, I, I think, you know, really that's— uh I, they're public records, all right? I mean, uh, wills and, and deeds are public records, and I and I think, you know, we've, uh, depending on the county, kept records for, you know, well over a century in, in many cases, so I don't have an answer to that. Adam, do you want to?
3: Well, and I'm not going to have an exact answer either. I will tell you, this is, you know, how far back documents go um, is going to depend on the custom and practice of the court. We're talking, it sounds like decades. Um, I have certainly heard of instances where people were able to track down a, a large amount of information. A couple of just resources you could consider besides trying to access any court records that are out there. If you can determine who the attorneys were, even if they are deceased given this amount of time, if that firm still exists, there is a possibility that some of those old files could be around. Um, Generally speaking, uh, you know, lawyers are able to destroy client files after the matter is concluded and there's there's no other possibility of appeal so if we're talking decades you know, there's a chance that they don't have it. On the flip side, if it was an established law firm that maybe, you know, third generation lawyer is, is representing, they still may have those files somewhere. Um, we certainly have seen a transition in the last few years uh, to taking old files and saving them electronically. That's cheaper and, and safer in many ways. Um, so there's, there's still a chance that it's out there. The other, the other point I wanted to make, too, we are in an empowered time. Without question, related to people being able to do their own research and look things up, um, uh, I don't see any any issue with you deciding to look into these things in the past and gather up as much as you can. One of the things I like to tell. People, when you're hiring a lawyer, try to provide them with as much information as as you realistically can to help them represent you. So, if it graduates to a place, then uh, you know where it's worth looking at. You could do that, and then finally, again, we're talking decades. Um, uh, potentially here. Statute of limitations uh, could be an issue, um, to say the least, but um, it's going to depend on several factors and, uh, and you know, not, not, not something we can get into in detail here. But yeah, go, keep looking.
1: Thanks, John. Ooh, I love it on Finding Your Roots on MPB, which is on tonight at 7 o'clock, I think, um, how they can look up old wills and they can find deeds and they can find all sorts of ancestry information. All right, uh, Adam, we've got a minute and a half. What Leave us with some information, please.
3: You know, um, just uh, it's the thing I like to touch on. If you've got a lingual matter, pending you are probably in distress and uh, financial distress and other types of distress and we that's hard for any of us these legal matters don't tend to show up at a time that is ideal for us it, as far as time goes as far as finances go etc um, it is easy to say and hard to do but but if you're a client or a potential client try to take a deep breath. Um, and be reasonable in your interaction with your lawyer. On the flip side, I've seen people be too um, laid back, if you will, on it and not been urgent enough. So try to find that reasonable balance of communicating with your lawyer without stressing them out too much, but do let them know you're still around. And that's that's that balance there. We see, we see emotions sometimes jumping into play here um, that can make things go down a bad road unnecessarily. So don't be scared of your lawyer, but be respectful of your lawyer and try to help them help you.
1: And that'll do it for today. Thank you, Adam. We appreciate you coming on the show today.
3: My pleasure. Thank you both.
1: Oh, and that's going to wrap us up for in today's In Legal Terms. Thank you for Kevin Farrell and Java Chapman help get us on the air. So for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. Tune in finding your roots tonight always i love that show (laughs) join us next tuesday at 10 a.m central for in legal terms though on mpb think radio
0: an MPB Think Radio podcast.